0: Pray with me, please. Father, in the holy name of Jesus Christ, I I pray for clarity. I pray that you would open our eyes, Father, wide, that we may have eyes to see your revelation of yourself and your revelation of your Son. Father God, in the name of Jesus, give us eyes, new eyes, seeing eyes, that you be glorified, Father, in us, and that we may see as you want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles. You're going to need uh, to open them. Um, or you can use the insert because I'm going to be referring to, uh, to the two lessons that were read this morning. Actually, uh, two of the three that were read this morning. And I, I was very blessed, I'm always very blessed uh, each year that John twenty is read, and um, we see how Jesus said to, to Thomas in the upper room or in the room where they were still hiding, he said to them, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And I think that's a reference to us, isn't it? It's, it's a reference to us, but I, I hope that we can never say again after today we haven't seen. I hope that we will be given eyes to see. Now, because God is so amazing, and, and He orchestrates things the way He orchestrates things, I... When I begin to work on my sermon, I always think I know where I'm going, but uh, often the Lord just intercepts me at different places, and um, and then I get to see something that I I haven't seen before. Uh, you all know that I uh, I prepare my sermons on Friday, uh, Friday morning. Uh, Probably all day uh, I take breaks in the middle and sometimes my sermons are not finished until Saturday because I I take a lot of time to pray and sometimes my breaks are longer than than other times. Um, But I do prepare my sermons on Friday. It's been my custom for 30 years since I started preaching. I found that if I stayed in the office, uh, I really can't concentrate. Uh, there's a lot of phone calls, there's a lot of movement. I want to know why things are happening around me, so I stop doing what I need to do, and I go ask Janet, what was that about? And so I basically need to get out of the office if I'm going to spend time in quiet and prayer, and uh, I'm alone at home, uh, so I, um, I really seek the Lord for every one of my sermons. Uh, My son-in-law and my my granddaughter, Sophia, went on a camping trip this past week. So Naomi got to stay with us and and Otmara, my my daughter. uh, They slept in our house Thursday night. And um, my thought was, I'm going to get up very early and I'm going to get started before Naomi wakes up. Uh, so I was up early, uh, and for me at, at, at that time, usually 5 o'clock is my time, but I, I think I got up at about 6, 6.30, something like that, and I said I better get going real fast. Lord and behold, the door of our bedroom opens up, and there is Naomi. There is Naomi. Uh, she's fully awake, and she's ready to go. Uh, she climbs in the bed with, with me, and I kind of cuddle up with her, and she kind of falls asleep a little bit again. Uh, and so I get up, I do my stuff, and I go to start my day really intending to, uh, uh, to spend a lot of time in prayer. Molly goes to work. Uh, I don't like, you know, Mara gets, she's tired from all that she does, so I didn't want to bother her. Uh, and so Naomi just keeps coming to my office uh, up there. in, in, in upstairs, and she keeps coming, and she keeps coming, and uh, she wants to play hide-and-seek with Dad. (laughs) She wants to play hide-and-seek with me, and so I tell her I'm, I'm praying. She wants to know whether I'm working or whether I'm, what am I doing, and and then she goes and she watches TV for a little while, and she comes back and she hides in inside the room in the office. And I have a prédu; it's like a kneeler like that. And she hides underneath the desk or underneath the uh, the prédu. And she goes, Dad, can you see me? <laughs> and I, I would say, Yeah, I can see you. Then she hides a little farther, and and Dad, can you see me now? And um, and and she's I mean. I want to study. I, I want to pray. But um, and then the Lord really said something to me that I, I really don't know where it came from. Except I know that it came from him, but I know it, it was not something that, that naturally came to me. But, and I thought, boy, if the Lord gives me this, there must be a reason for it. And she said, she hides inside, she says, can you see me now? And I I said to Naomi, honey, when I can't see you, you can't see me either. And I thought, my goodness, there must be a message behind those words. When I can't see you because you're so well hidden, you can't see me either. And I was reminded of a song that I have enjoyed singing for many, many years since I started my ministry. We used to sing it here as well. It's called, uh, I Will Trust in You. And the lyrics of the song... Uh, goes, when I can't see you, I know you're here. When I can't feel you, I will not fear. I will trust in you, and I will not be afraid. And when the battle is close at hand, I know you're with me to help me stand. I will trust in you, and I will not be afraid. And when the darkness is closing in and I am running against the wind, I will trust in you. I will not be afraid afraid because when I'm standing upon that shore and all the battles have gone before, I will trust in you and I will not be afraid. So this morning what I want to do because it seems to be what God has put in my heart through through naomi and and through what he kept showing me what I want to to do this morning is I want us all to see Jesus I want to see Jesus anew I want I, I know we all have an image of Jesus I know we have Ideas of Jesus because we read in the Gospels and we can create images in our minds. I want us to continue to see Jesus, but I want, I want new eyes. I want to help you open your eyes wider and bigger uh, than ever. So this morning what I want to do is I want to take you from Easter morning to the end times. I want to take you from Easter morning to the end times. I want to take you from the Gospel of John that we read at the Gospel today to the book of Revelations. I want us to go from the resurrection of Jesus to our own resurrection. I want us to take that journey and that the Lord would give us eyes to see. When we read the Gospel this morning, uh, John tells us that the events of the Gospel that we just read, that Diane read, they take place exactly on Easter Day. Okay? The, The beginning of the Gospel takes us to exactly the day of Easter. And then it takes us eight days later uh, to tell us about the resurrection of Jesus around 33 A.D., 30 between 30 and 33 A.D. What we find is that in the morning, Jesus uh, had appeared to Mary Magdalene. Peter and John ran to the tomb, found the tomb empty. They went back and told the disciples, but I, I, they had not seen Jesus yet. And what we read is that in the evening... Of that same day, Easter day, the first day of the week, they were huddled inside of this house in Jerusalem, very, very afraid, and continuing to wonder, what is this thing that Mary has been telling them, that she had seen Jesus? And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them, though the doors were closed, and the windows were shut, and everything was secured, and Jesus just shows up, Right in the midst of them. And he gives them proofs of the resurrection. He shows them that he who was crucified is the same one that now is very much alive. And they all rejoice because they get to know now in their own eyes... What Mary had told them, Mary Magdalene. And Jesus breathes upon them. He says, "Peace be to you." and he breathes about upon them and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." And I think that act was a, a, a cleansing act, a preparatory act that prepared them for the day of Pentecost. But then he commissions. The apostles. And he commissions them as reconcilers. As reconcilers between people and God. And he gives them authority. And authority that only belongs to God, he gives to the apostles. And he says, whatever sins you forgive on earth will be forgiven in heaven. And whatever sins you retain upon people, they will still be retained in heaven. See, that authority of forgiving sins only belonged to God and belonged to Jesus. He gives his apostles this authority. And you know, that is the authority with which at each service, and you confess your sins, that's the authority in which I stand To say to you, not in my name, but in the name of Jesus Christ, I forgive you your sins. I think it's one of the most powerful parts of our service. Not just ritual, but a powerful moment when we can realize that our sins are removed from us, not only on earth, but in heaven. Well, uh, John is uh, uh, Thomas is not with them. And so when they report to Thomas that Jesus has appeared to them and that he indeed, in fact, has risen from the dead, uh, Thomas doesn't believe. And so he says to them, unless I put my fingers in the mark of the nails, and unless um, I can put my hand on his side and see the wound, I will not believe. So eight days later, uh, Jesus appears again in the same house. This time Thomas is there. And one of the things I want you to recognize is that uh, Jesus knew what Thomas said ahead of time. So there's no hiding from what Jesus hears, you guys. So be very careful what you say because the Lord is always attentive to our prayers and to what we say and so Jesus appears to them again and this time Thomas is there and he addresses Thomas directly and he basically says peace be with you again and he says to Thomas Thomas come over here you want to put your finger right through my nails or right through the mark of the nails go right ahead it's right here you want to see my side where the the spear went right through my, my chest and into my lungs. Come, put your, your hand. And Thomas, Thomas just, as I see it, he, he must have just collapsed in front of Jesus. And he, he makes one of the most beautiful statements of faith in the whole Bible. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And that's what Jesus says to him. You believe because you saw. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. And then that whole section is closed with these words. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus. Is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. You see, we don't really need to see with our eyes, we don't need to poke into the wounds of Jesus. We have enough right here, according to Jesus. We have enough here to be able to know Jesus, believe in Him, and in believing that He is who He claims He is, we can have life eternal. We don't need any extra proofs. The wounds show that the same body that was crucified was the same body that was standing and speaking with them, and Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. But Jesus' words are so important. He says, not everything that Jesus did in these 40 days are all written here. But what is written is enough. Enough for you and I to come to know that Jesus is the anointed one of God. The son of God who gave his life for you. And that in believing in him, you will have eternal life. Now, this that I'm telling you about is what the gospel tells us that took place at around 30 to 33 AD. Now, I want to take a leap with you from Jesus' resurrection to the end times. To the end times. About 70 years or so later than the events I just related to you, about 70 years or so later, around 90 to 92 or 93 AD, Peter and Paul had already been beheaded, or Paul are beheaded and, and, and Peter crucified, head down. They both died in Rome, probably in between 64 and 68 AD. We're talking about 90 AD. All of the apostles... All of the original apostles, except for Judas, who who committed suicide out of guilt and shame, but all of the apostles all died martyrs. They spread all over the world, and every single of them, except for John, the disciple, they all died as martyrs. But John died of old age in the area of Ephesus. He also suffered for the preaching of the gospel. The Apostle John tells us that because of the preaching of the gospel, he had been exiled to an island just west of today Turkey, an island called Patmos, a very rugged little island No more than about 6 miles wide and about 12 or 14 miles long. Hilly, rugged in many respects, not very inhabitable really. That's where he had been exiled in an attempt to shut him up so that he would have nobody to talk to. And nobody to listen to his preaching of the gospel and his experiences of Jesus. And it's here that he has this vision of Jesus, which I want to give you a little bit of an idea on. But one of the things you all must remember, because I think it's extremely important, Jesus had said in the Gospel of of Matthew, but in others as well, he has said that, he had given the signs of the end times, chapter 24 of Matthew. He has said that the, the the stones of the temple would all collapse. And the disciples wanted to know when that would be. And so Jesus began to give them signs of what to look for. But one of the things Jesus says, because they want to know when and how and just like we would want. But one of the things Jesus says in chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 34, He says, But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. You remember that? Nobody knows the total and complete details of the end times. Not the angels of heaven. And it almost seems to say that not even the Son. Because it was only from the Father's will and the Father's decision. The when, the how, the end times were going to take place. Of that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven. But my Father Only. And the thing that I want you to rejoice with me about is that the book of Revelations is actually the Father disclosing those things that were hidden before. The book of Revelations is the Father's revelation to the Son of those things that only were within His purview, within His authority within His will alone. So that we're not left actually, when we read the New Testament, we're not left ignorant of the things to come. The book of Revelation tells us Tells us that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to everything he saw. That is the word of God in the testimony of Jesus Christ. There is a progression of revelation in the book of Revelations. The book of Revelations is actually the father declaring to the son the end time events details. The son then declares it to his angel. Now, if you say, well, what angel? Well, the book of Revelation doesn't give us the name of the angel at any place. But we do know throughout the book that it is this angel that is telling John and describing to John everything that he's seeing in his vision. But if we kind of look at Daniel, we see that there are two primary angels all through the book of Daniel. One is Gabriel and the other one is Michael. Michael is the angel that does a lot of the battles for God. Angel is Uh, Gabriel is the angel that seems to bring messages and announcements to Daniel. We find Gabriel as well speaking to Mary, to Mary uh, the virgin. And we find Gabriel speaking to, to Joseph. Now I won't tell you that this angel that is being spoken of here is one of them. Because in reality I don't know and I don't want to speculate on the word of God. But if I were going to, I'd say this is Gabriel. So, God reveals His will, how the thing will end, how everything will end, declares it to the Son, the Son declares it to His angel, the angel gives it to John, John gives it to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and through those churches, it is revealed to the universal church throughout time. So that we're no longer ignorant of How God plans to end things. We may still not know the time, the day, or even some of the details as who is the Antichrist and all of that. But we have plenty of the revelation of God to have an idea of the end times. God the Father is the original source of the revelation and the book of Revelation and the apocalyptic message given to John. The Father to the Son, the Son to the Angel, the Angel to John, and John to the churches, and through the churches, to all of us. Now the vision of John, I'm not going to dwell too much into. I think you can read it in your Bibles. You can even read it in the, in the insert. We'll just take a look at it rather quickly, but I'm not going to make too many comments because that's not where I want to go. But it says this, he is in Padmas. it is the day of the Lord, and he hears a voice behind him, he says it's like a trumpet. And he turns around in the direction of the voice and he says, I saw seven golden lampstands And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of a rushing water's. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. What I want to share with you today, more than anything else, is I want eyes for us to see. Eyes to see not only the incarnate sun, The one that died in the cross and rose again and ascended to heaven. I want us to see today the eternal Son of God. The the Son of God as He is portrayed at the end times. What will we see at the end time? What will be our vision? How will Jesus appear to us at the end times? I want us to have eyes to see. And there are several things that are said about Jesus in chapter 1 of the book of Revelations as He's being introduced and presented to us. Because the book of Revelations is not only about the end times, it's about he who controls the end times. He who, who makes the difference upon the believers so that the end times are not something that we should fear about. The book of Revelations is about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he does, and what he represents to the church. The first thing that we hear about Jesus Christ is he's described as the faithful witness. The faithful witness. Now, I want you to understand that the word witness in the, in the Greek actually is the word for martyr. And when Jesus is called the faithful witness, he's being represented to us as the faithful martyr whom God gave for the salvation of the world. He was faithful to the Father's mission and to his mission all the way to the end. He was the martyr that by his death witnessed to the grace and the love of God and is still witnessing today about the grace and the love of God who chooses to reconcile sinners unto himself through the death of his only begotten son. He is the faithful witness. But not only is he the faithful martyr who gives his life faithfully and obediently, He is the faithful witness in that His Word is faithful. His Word is trustworthy. His teaching, His Word to us is something we can count on because it comes from the very Son of God. So He is a witness that tells the truth. He is a witness we can trust and we can bank on. The first description of Jesus in this book is that He is the faithful witness. The second thing that is told us about Jesus is that he's the firstborn of the dead. The firstborn of the dead. Now we all know that Jesus resurrected a few people during his earthly ministry. Amen? He resurrected Lazarus. He resurrected the the son of the widow of Nain. But here's what you need to understand. Those people that were resurrected... Were resurrected to die again. Lazarus didn't live from that moment on forever. They were resurrected to show the power of God over life and death, but they all died again. Jesus is the first one to resurrect unto eternal life, never, ever, ever to die again. He is the first fruit of all those who will resurrect in the future, unto eternity. Lazarus and the son of the widow in Nain were resurrected to live on earth. Jesus was resurrected to live in heaven forever and ever and ever. To never die again. His resurrection is unto eternal life, not the resurrection unto earthly life. So we see that Jesus is described as the firstborn of the dead. The first one to live unto eternity. The other thing that Jesus is described in this first chapter alone is that he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is king of kings, lord of lords, and no one compares. He is the king of all that ever was created and have their being. The other thing that we know that we are told is that Jesus loves us, not loved us, but loves us, and freed us from our sins by his blood. He so loved the world. The next thing that we are told is that he makes us a kingdom and a priesthood unto God his Father. You and I are kings And queens in the kingdom of of God and priests unto the Lord our God. And then he tells us also that he's coming in the clouds. That he's going to come in the clouds. And he will be coming in the clouds, and the whole world will see him. Everyone will see him those that crucified him and those for whom he died. The whole world will see Him and there will be wailing. There will be wailing because we have taken Him for granted at times. Because there are many that still choose to reject Him and not put their faith in Him. And when they see Him in the clouds, in all authority and in all power, the whole world will fall to its knees. And will wail that Jesus had to die for my sins. And that I too am guilty of his cross. I think we will all fall to our knees at the moment that we see Jesus. And then, which is where I really want to go in the sermon, is I want us to see what Jesus says to John when John falls in front of him after he sees the vision. Especially verse 17 and 18. Jesus says to John, he touches him and he says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living was. I was dead and behold I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus himself says that he is the first and the last. You see, Jesus has no beginning and no end. Whatever first is, whatever beginning is, Jesus was there. He is the one and He is the last one. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega with the Father. He is the first and the last. And He says He is the living one. I was dead and behold, I live forever and ever. But here's here's what I find powerful. Here's what I find powerful, people. Jesus says that he holds in his hands the keys over death and over Hades. You see, Peter may hold the keys of the church, but Jesus holds the keys over eternity. You may hold your keys to your house and to your car, but Jesus holds your life and the keys of life and death in His hands. He says He has, because those words, when, when I read those words, I read of the authority of Jesus over life and death. He holds the keys. He opens and closes. He frees and He puts in jail. He has the power. He has the power. And He has the authority. And He holds the keys over death. Jesus has the power to raise whom He wills. Jesus has the power to give life to the dead. Because death cannot say to Jesus, no. He holds the key. He is the mighty one, the powerful one. And death has ultimately to bow before our Lord Jesus Christ. And he will give life to whom he will give life. And no one can stop him. He holds the keys over death. He also holds the keys over Hades. What is Hades? It's not a word you throw around and... Everybody knows what Hades is. In, in, in Hebrew, it was Sheol. In Greek, it is the word Hades. Hades is, the, is the, the place of the dead. The intermediate place of the dead. Jesus tells a parable. I believe in Matthew, but perhaps also in Luke. Luke. He tells a parable about a man named Lazarus. You remember, the dogs would come and leak his, his wounds. He was very poor and he ate outside of the house of the rich man. We know Lazarus' name, but we never learn the, the, the rich man's name. And the rich man could care less what happens to Lazarus. In fact, Lazarus has to feed from what the rich man throws out in his garbage. Well, Lazarus dies. And he goes to what's called in the parable, the bosom of Abraham. Then the rich man dies, and he goes to a place where he is suffering in pain and burning. And it's hot, and it's hellish. And he looks across this chasm, and he says to Abraham, Abraham, send Lazarus to bring me some water, because I am thirsty and dying of thirst in this torment. And Abraham says to him, he can't go because there's a chasm between us and no one from here can go there and no one from there can come here. So the rich man says, okay, send them to my brothers down on earth so that they don't end up where I am suffering. And, and Abraham says, we can't do that. Even if someone rose from the dead, they will not believe. And of course he was referring to the resurrection of Jesus and he still not believed. But what is that place that is that intermediate place? You see, to argue about eschatology is not what I want to do because nobody really knows what's in the mind of God totally. But when I read the Word of God... I believe that 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 Jesus is describing is is Hades. That is an intermediate place of the dead. I believe that where Abraham is with Lazarus is what Jesus calls paradise. Where he says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That is Hades. Something, a place, a, 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 a something, a realm... That is divided between intermediate suffering and intermediate joys. And ultimately when the book of Revelation unfolds and the books are finally opened and salvation is given to those whose names are written in the book. There is a complete move from that intermediate space into those that get punished into the lake of fire which is preserved for the devil and the beast and and, and, and the the false Christ, the antichrist, and all those that are his. And the others will go with the Lord. To me, that is Hades. That's my understanding of Hades. And Jesus says that he holds the keys, not only of death and life, but he holds the keys of where people ultimately go. He holds the key of the eternal life of people. He holds it. It's in His power, in His authority, to give to those who believe in Him. Here's what I want to say to you people. That is, what blesses me out of this is not fear. It's actually the contrary. It's security. I feel secured... That death and life and the ultimate stay of all people are in the hands of Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior, whom I serve, in whom I believe. Your resurrection is secured. Is secured. No one can snatch it from His hands, because He holds the key over life and death, and He holds the key over what happens. After death, he holds the key. There is life after death, and he holds the key. He has the authority, he has the power, and because he's our Lord, we have security. We have assurance, we have hope, we have faith, we have assurance in our lives that because Jesus rose from the dead, he secured our eternity. I want you today to open your eyes to see not only the Jesus who died and rose and ascended. I want you to see the Jesus that is Lord over all things unto eternity, forever and ever. And no one can ever remove us from the hand and the heart of God. There is security. And those who die in the Lord can die secure. And those who are not yet in the Lord need to come to the Lord. Because He holds the key. He holds the keys and the power and the authority. And He will give life to whom He will give life. And death will bow down before Him. And all things will bow down before Him. And acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yesterday, today, and forever. And we are His. Thus our confidence. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand up with me, please.